0: Go ahead. Okay. Wow. Failing love, come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws, and I will obey your law. Forever and ever, I will walk about in freedom for i have sought out your precepts i will speak to your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame for i delight in your commands because i love them i lift up my hands to you oh i lift up my hands to your commands which i love i meditate on your decrees
1: okay well, you
2: read that again about uh, freedom. freedom that's, that's liberty
1: i will walk at Liberty. Yeah. And so, you know what? I'm not really happy with walking at Liberty today. I want you to know that. Universally, Liberty. Yeah, I know. I'm not happy with it. Do you saw who their commencement speaker was this this no. time? Oh, I'll mention it in the proxy update. Liberty. Yeah. Liberty, you who who gave the uh, speech this year? I'm not happy with it. I, I it, at all. I'll show you on the proxy update. I'm not telling you, you're going to have to stew or you he'll be looking. That's what he's well, going to be doing. Now if you want, he, He's oh. not, 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 that's cheating. You let him wait till Sunday when we have our prophecy update. Ask, and you'll hear who the. I'll
2: ask Courtney, my granddaughter.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was totally depressed. And his message was so off Christian Jerry Falwell's, there's two Falwell brothers, right? One's the president, one is the something. And the, the,
2: the pastor, Jonathan is the pastor.
1: Jonathan leader. is the good, uh, the theologically sound one, then Jerry is the one that's off in right field or no, left, left field. <laughs> yeah, anyway, okay, so you, you. I was not happy. I'm not walking in liberty today with liberty. Um, yeah, oh boy. We're going to read. Uh, Go look it up if you want, but I'm just not going to say it until Sunday, because maybe I'll change the article, whatever. Um, May 20—oh, it's not the 27th, that's Sunday. almost did it again. Today is the 23rd, 4th, 24th. Okay, no one had ever seen anything like this before. It was Pentecost, May 24th, A.D. 33. They kind of fudge these dates, just so you know. They have no idea that. But anyway, the 50th day after the Sabbath of Passover week— Pentecost marked the beginning of the Feast of Weeks, one of the three annual feasts when every male Jew was required to appear at the temple. It was a festival of joy with the presenting of the first fruits of the grain harvest to the Lord. Just ten days earlier, Jesus had ascended into heaven, and keeping with his instructions, the disciples had stayed on in Jerusalem. They were meeting together when suddenly they heard a loud roaring, like a mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were meeting. Then they saw what looked like tongues of fire on each other's heads. They remembered how Jesus had spoken of a baptism of fire, and now here was a fire, and they weren't being burnt by it. And if the fire weren't miraculous enough, they began speaking in languages. I'm glad they said that, because the word tongues means languages. It never means rolling around and saying a bunch of nonsensical words, ever. It is a language. It is a known language. They began speaking in languages and that they didn't know. Jews for many nations were in Jerusalem at the time, and when they came running to see what all the ruckus was about, the roaring wind, the non-burning flames on the believers' heads, and preaching in many languages, they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. How can this be, they exclaimed. These are all, these are, are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking the languages of the lands where we were born. But others in the crowd were mocking, they're drunk. That's all, they said. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted, They got that wrong, didn't they? Yes. They stepped forward with the 11 other apostles? I no. know,
0: right.
1: Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, well, when was, no, it was when X chapter 1 when they did Matthias, isn't it? Matthias. Oh, yes. Okay, so they did with the 11. I was thinking it was, yeah, Matthias came before that, so it was 11 apostles. <laughs> okay, our ears perked up, but we got to correct it. Anyway, where was I? Um, it's, uh Uh, fellow Jews residents of Jerusalem make no mistake about this some of you are saying that these people are drunk it isn't true it's much too early for that people don't get drunk by 9 o'clock in the morning well some do (laughs) anyway no what you see this morning was predicted centuries ago by the prophet Joel in the last days God said I will pour out my spirit upon all people your sons and daughters will prophesy and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved people of Israel listen God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing wonderful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But you follow God's prearranged plan with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to the cross and murdered him. However, God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life where death could not keep him in his grip. Peter's words convicted them deeply and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must turn from your sins and to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church, about 3,000 in all. They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, Sharing in the Lord's Supper and prayer. It was a memorable day for the fledgling church, and Peter's instructions are just as true for the church today. Actually, that's not correct. I was going to bring that up, and they they brought up an incorrect statement right at the end. Reflection. Have you believed and been baptized like converts on the day of Pentecost? Do you join with other believers in learning, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer? In which areas do you need to become more faithful? And then they cite Acts 2, through 47. All the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. That's three I need to tell you about. They sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added their, to their group those who were being saved. So you got a couple of problems with this passage. The first one is that um, they... Uh, Uh, What does it say about tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? How many can speak in tongues?
0: Two or three.
1: One at a time. time, Two or three. And and must have an interpreter. Okay, so obviously that's a descriptive passage. It must be descriptive because if not, then there is a contradiction in Scripture. Everybody got that? Because all of them spoke at the same time in various tongues, and there was no interpreter. Only the ears that understood it heard it. Okay, so there you go. You've got right there that shows you that acts is descriptive 99.9 percent of the book of acts is descriptive you are never to use it for your theology except in knowing how the church was established and how the transition was made from jew to gentile things like that but you do not take verses from acts and make them prescriptive the second one was where it said um peter replied each of you must turn from your sins and to god and be baptized in the name of jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then they said at the big end of it, it says it was a memorial day for the fledging church. And Peter's instructions are just as true for the church today. 100% incorrect. 100%. Not 99.9%. 100%. Peter was speaking to who? Jews. He was speaking to the Jews who had just done what?
0: Crucified.
1: Crucified Christ. That's right. And it has nothing to do with us. Now we could reject Jesus. And then later call on Jesus, and then we we would have to repent from that. But if you've never heard of Jesus, there is nothing to repent from. You call on the name of the Lord, and you're saved, and then you get your doctrine, and you begin to change your life as the Holy Spirit leads you, and you're sanctified. Okay, there's no such thing as repenting from what you don't know you're doing wrong. Jesus comes to be your physician. In other words, you don't get yourself fixed and then go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, and then he fixes you as you allow him to, by the way. So that's completely incorrect. That's why we have so much foul doctrine within the church is because people take descriptive passages like Acts 2.38 and they say, you need to do this and this in order to be saved. You need to be baptized in order to be saved. You need to be baptized in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, that's contradicted right in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter eight and then again in Acts chapter 10. If you take the three baptism chapters where you have Jews in Acts chapter 2, Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, and Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, and you put them together, none of them match. Which one do you use as your descriptive passage? The answer is none of them. They are prescriptive passage. The answer is none of them. They are descriptive passages, and they are to they are to show you truths about what happened in the early church and how the message would go from Jew to Gentile, from Jerusalem to the world, et cetera, et cetera. We've gone through all of that before. I did it. You could probably go back and watch. I think it's Acts chapter eight sermon uh, uh, Bible study. Yes. Bible study about baptism, specifically about baptism. If you want that and you're watching online, email me and I'll give you the link to it. And it will show you exactly how you know that that is bad theology. Do not use the book of Acts in a descriptive way. No. With- I'm sorry, thank you. Prescriptive way. Use it in a descriptive way with very few exceptions. The exceptions would be Jesus' words at the very beginning, right? He says You're, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Jesus is speaking to them and he's giving them a truth which will last all the way through the church age. There are a couple other passages that are prescriptive, and then there are some that are prescriptive temporarily. Acts chapter 15 is one where they had the council in Jerusalem, right? They had the council in Jerusalem, which told them, the Gentiles, if you do these things, you do well. Later, Paul wrote his epistles, and those epistles superseded or supplanted what was written in uh, Acts chapter 15. That was a temporary, um, what's the word I'm thinking? What? Temporary Temporary directive until Paul's epistles were written and church doctrine was set. So even Acts chapter 15, you should not take as prescriptive. Go to Paul's writings and you will understand where he qualifies what is said in Acts chapter 15. It was temporary accommodation is the word I was looking for. It's a directive, but it is accommodation until the church age was truly established. And there was the word of God written down from the hand of Paul for the Gentile-led church age. Anyway, don't want to beat that to death, but that's why even when you read devotionals, always check what is said, okay? Because devotionals are just devotionals. And um, what is it? Um, Commentaries are just commentaries. They're not the word of God. Anybody can make mistakes with those things, especially Charlie Garrett. So check what I have to say. Um, I'm going to say something now, and I'm going to have to say it again on Sunday because I don't know if this lady watches the Bible studies or not. Um, all I will give is her first name Janice. Okay, and that's all she gave me anyway I'm not gonna read what she said, but Janice if you are listening She sent in a card through the door here. She came to Sarasota She's a nurse and she accompanied somebody and she had to leave early. She came to for the Bible I'm sorry the church on Sunday morning. She couldn't make it They had to leave early and she wrote the most gracious letter and I want to tell you that what she said uh, uh, She overestimates, you know my you know, whatever. That's all I want to say is that it was very gracious. And I want to thank her for that. And I'm going to have to repeat it on Sunday in case she doesn't watch the Bible classes. But it's just so nice to know that there are people out there that benefit from the ministry. And then uh, also, I always forget to say this on Sunday morning. I'll say it now and hopefully again on Sundays. I'm so appreciative of the people that have given to the ministry because, uh, you know, we had a lot of expenses, especially in the past month with cameras and stuff. All those expenses are being met because people have helped. And I'm so thankful for that. So forgive me for not saying that enough. I should say it every single week. But thank the people that that help out the ministry, and uh, thank you, Janice, for that wonderful letter. And uh, we did that, and we uh, got a prayer request, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the Bible study. Mary, from Naples, she can't attend anymore because of her job. Mary Naples, um, uh, let's see here. She's been working 12-hour workdays every day. Yeah. And she says, well, I won't say what she said, but anyway, <laughs> asked for uh, prayers for a grandson major who has unusual gross on his neck. And so uh, we want to lift them up in prayer and we'll just go to the Lord in prayer. Remember for Vince,
0: Vince,
1: Vince. Oh, Vince, your friend, Vince. Oh, and last week I told you, I think it was Sunday, that the guy that manages the mall I take care of he was on his way out he was in ICU and uh, anyway the Lord was gracious and I went to visit him today still in ICU and he is up he's alert while wow. uh, wow, the Lord is really good there because they did not the doctor told her he's he's done but here we go Heavenly Father you've heard the three names that are mentioned out loud and you also know all of the other people that have emailed or that have uh, called with their problems and you know that uh, uh, these things are things that uh Oh, something, I must not have pushed the right button. And so I think the Bible study has not been recorded properly. Lord, um, we thank you for the chance to come here in prayer. And we thank you that uh, we can just lift these people up to you. We thank you for all of the good blessings that you've given us. And we certainly pray for all of these people that are going through trials. And we also pray, Lord, for the um, uh, in thanks for the people that you have shown favor to and healed. And we thank you for all the many good blessings of this life with which you have blessed us. And Lord, we just praise you, we exalt you, and we glorify you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: I just—it it was, wasn't—it was on break.
1: It was on. I—I I realize now that I did not push the Bible study button, so I apologize. Um, maybe
0: are the letterings not big
1: enough? I—I I just <laughs> forgot. I mean, we get started and we're talking, and I just forgot. So I maybe can cut off the beginning of the uh, Bible class, it was, uh, and it all uh, it, came through audible. It all came through oddly, but people don't want to watch a board or whatever. I don't it know it, looked, board, it was oh. oh, okay. Well, as long as it was you guys, that's fine. I don't care about that. I just don't want people looking at a blank wall or something. But sorry about that. That was my fault that's today. Like whatever we see on the screen. We're oh, okay. Crazy, right? I, yeah. I guess. I don't know. We'd have to ask Sergio, but I think that's probably yeah, that's, correct. All right. Thank you for bailing us out, Sergio. I, I, I completely forgot to push that button. You know, we're just talking and we're getting started and right off my mind. So uh, let's see who we have. And normally what we do is we push it early. Sergio Uh. tests things and we push it early. And he didn't have to test it because he did it earlier or something. So anyway, let's get in the Bible study. Romans 11, verse 20. Should
0: I start on 17?
1: Uh, Yeah, might as well. If it's the beginning of a chapter, just a paragraph, just go back.
0: If some of the branches have been broken off and you, the whole wild olive sheet, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishment sap in the olive root, Do not boast over the branches, over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say that branches are broken off so that I could be grafted in. 20, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid.
1: Okay, that's very close to mine. No no point in rereading it. Same words, just differently. Or same same thought just differently worded okay my thoughts on this um, oh before I give my thoughts on this uh, I have to tell you how fun it is remember last week I said there was a song that was played on blue jeans and I said yeah, I think it was yeah, Billy uh, yeah. Bobby, whatever I said it wasn't just so everybody knows Kyle who's out in California was listening online and but by the time I got home there was an email that said the song is every day buddy holly every day uh oh, things yeah. are getting whatever yeah, yeah, something yeah. like a roller coaster anyway so if you ever want to hear a song played on blue jeans that's it sorry about that here we go Eleven twenty. paul's preemptive argumentation and what could possibly be based on spoken sentiments of that time by some counted among the faithful continue in this verse he noted that some of the branches of the olive tree were broken off, thus allowing the Gentiles to be grafted in. Everybody remember that. We talked about that in detail. Surely they're, they must be more favored than the broken off branches, right? That's the question. Okay, we've got the people that aren't obedient to the Lord. They That was a good passage to read actually for this because it's Acts chapter 2. It's showing that these people had rejected Christ. Some of them called on the Lord, but many of them didn't. And those branches are broken off. Sorry about that. But we could uh, ask them, um, surely we must be more favored than they are because they were broken off. But Paul dismisses such a notion. Well said is an adverb meaning rightly or true. In essence, yes, they were broken off and you were grafted in. That is correct. He has no problem with that he's being extremely tact in his wording granting a portion of their logic now remember he's making this uh case all by himself nobody asked him this he's just submitting it and then he's going to break down why that is an incorrect logic but he knows that people will ask this and so he's trying to be gracious with his thoughts what somebody might ask okay the thought is true and i grant you that but okay he will thereby make a deflection from their own thought in order to bolster the true intent of the matter. And so he continues. It was because of unbelief that they were broken off. Remember Acts chapter 2, we just read it. We know that Jews did not call on Jesus. 3,000 did, later more did, but not the entire nation by any stretch of the imagination. These natural branches, they're the natural branches of this olive tree which were born into the main root of the tree were broken off because they failed to accept and believe in God's provision. Exactly what we just talked about from Acts chapter two. If they didn't do what Peter said, they were broken off. Having viewed these verses concerning the branches thus far, it needs to be questioned whether what is being discussed is concerning the process of election and salvation of individuals, or rather the calling to salvation of select groups meaning Jew and Gentile. Based on the entirety of what has been given by Paul, it must be speaking of the second view, the calling of salvation to these larger categories. That is what Paul is speaking about. He's not speaking about individuals, even though individuals are broken off as branches. Why is this important to know? It bears heavily on the doctrine. What doctrine am I thinking of? Calvinism, replacement theology. The church has replaced Israel. A concept held among older denominations and also held among many, many cults. If you're the Jehovah's Witnesses, well, we're Israel. We've replaced them. We're the 144,000. And you get the, you know, British Israelianism and you get Reformation and the Catholic Church and all of these people that say, well, we are spiritual Israel. We have done this and they are out and we are in. Okay. So all of these people, including many cults, believe in this particular concept. All right. They believe they've replaced Israel. Israel. Uh, where was I? Older denominations believe they replaced Israel and are thus entitled to it the entire scope of the blessings and the promises which were given to Old Testament Israel. Everybody got that? We are, and therefore all of the promises belong to us, and Israel gets none of them. Why do you think there's so much anti-Semitism in the world today? And Not just anti-Semitism, but anti Israel-Semitism or anti-Semitism or anti-Zionism, I guess I would say, right? Yeah. Why do you think that is? is? It's because if they acknowledge that Israel of today, who is back in the land of Israel today, is a valid country that is there by God's purposes, it means that all of their theology has been wrong. All of it. One thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And pretty soon, especially the Catholic Church, who comes down with these papal bulls and says this is infallible, right? They say this is an infallible edict, and what we say from the throne takes precedence over everything. I guarantee you that there are Catholic teachings. I I, don't know this with 100% certainty. I haven't read any, but I guarantee you that there are Catholic teachings that say that we are Israel okay there are probably dozens of them that go back over the many (laughs) many centuries and so that shows that they are incorrect and that they are not inspired of god and what they're doing is heretical okay so um yeah it is scary another example is the cult i mentioned them a second ago the jehovah's witnesses who claim that a certain portion of their members are the the hundred and forty four thousand. exactly right they're mentioned in the book of revelation hello how are you However, in Revelation, this group is divided by names of the tribes of Israel. Absolutely right. So if you ever want to ask a Job's witness, well, where do you get your basis for uh, being the 144,000? You say, which tribe do you belong to? They can't answer it. They'd have to make it up because it would be a lot. Oh, yeah. They got no answer. They're very clear (laughs) that these. Now, I will tell you something that I think is probably the case. I'm going to stop right there. It's right here. Um, uh, Before I do, is Chip Okay. I meant to ask about him. I
2: had dinner with him last night. He's doing all
1: right. All right. Well, we'll have him in prayer also, because I forgot to ask about him before class. You had something? Um, Well, no, but I might hang on. No, you better hang on to that. And um, uh, ask if you need. Yeah, I'll ask if I need it. Um, Throw it back. Yeah, I I won't poke you in the eye with it. Um, (laughs) And now I forgot what I was going to say here. In Revelation, group the the tribes of Israel. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's what I was going to say. I will bet because they don't know who these tribes are. Okay. Israel of today does not know who these tribes are. They know who the Levites are. They've done a DNA study. Okay. And they know. Okay. And they also know who the priestly class is. Anybody with the name Kohen, C-O-H-E-N, everybody here knows one or two of them. Those are from that priestly class. Yes. Your grandfather was
0: originally
1: from cohen okay so she's got some of the priestly line in her which means that cindy does too there you go so uh we know that that is they they have identified that dna but they are not going to identify all of the dna of all of the jews they're not going to do it because they don't even know what their lineage was okay my guess is this is just speculation but i was thinking about this remember when sergio did the um The uh, Prophecy Update, the first one that he did, Mm -hmm. and he showed all of the celebrations in Israel going on. And what did they do for the first time in literally 2,000 years? What did they do? They mentioned the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel. Sergio said nobody ever talks about the 12 tribes. They don't do it. And what did they include in one of the 12 tribes? Was somebody from the, no, yeah, the dru- uh, druids. Isn't that not, not druids? What are they called? Um, uh, the, the, they're partly Sikh people. They they are in Israel. They're they're like not, not Sikh. They're partly Muslim. Uh, I'm gonna remember the name at three. What's that? Don't they call them the dru- No, no, not Druid. not Jews. And druids no, come Jews. 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 druids druids. Thank you. I'm thinking druids. That's from the like um, England or something. The druids. Okay, these people are people that are in Israel they are part of israel but they're not jewish okay but they are there they serve in the military they're very loyal to israel as a people okay and they let them light one of the 12 tribes candles and it made me think you know what they can't identify who these 12 tribes are but they know where the land of the 12 tribes was it's right there in the bible and it does say in the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 47, I think, might be, four, yeah, probably 47, it says in there that after everything is done, the tribulation period, and anybody that's still alive and is in the land will be counted as a native, okay? They will be counted as a native of the land. Well, that tells me that the land itself They don't know who the Jews are. They, the Lord, this is just speculation, but the Lord may actually say, these people are in this area, which is the tribe of Judah. These people are in this area, which is the tribe of Benjamin. They're in this area, which is the tribe of Joseph. They are reckoned as Joseph, regardless of whether they descended from Joseph or not, is less relevant than where they are living in there. Remember when, uh, what does it say about Simeon? Simeon was in the land of Judah, but they were dispersed within it. Okay, so that's just speculation. But unless the Lord has counted every bit of Jewish blood, and they have retained that in a way that just doesn't seem likely, no, but, because... But
0: here's, here's another thing that, that might work with that. I mean, right. Speculation, we probably should...
1: That's, get, that's all it is, the speculation.
0: speculation. Right. But, um, okay, Dead Sea Scrolls popped out of nowhere.
1: Dead Sea Scrolls popped out of nowhere.
0: So, what's to say that the uh, ancient... Uh, uh, Family
1: lineages. DNA. It would have to go by DNA. It would have to be something that validates who they are. The lineages are not going to come back. And even if they do, they don't know the connection between the two. So you see what I'm saying? It has to be something that the Lord has said, this is how I'm going to identify these tribes and these people. Israel's already put the Druze in there. They've already shown that they accept them as one of the tribes. So it kind of clued me in that that's possible. That's speculation. I don't want to go any further than that. I don't need to get into a debate with anybody over it at all. But it's interesting that the one tribe that they need to identify Levi, they've identified, right? Because they're spursed all the way through Israel. They were in every tribe. There were Levites in every tribe. They had Levitical cities, etc. They're the only ones that really needed to be kept separate. And they've done that. All of the rest of them are just hodgepodged in there. They intermarried. And anyway, so just speculation, but it would resolve a problem that people have struggled over for eons.
2: Yes. I just read... Uh... Twenty chapter of Joshua. Joshua. Which that's the division of, of the land, and, and then all those cities, the uh, the uh, Levitical cities, uh sanctuary, sanctuary it, cities. Uh, well, it, it was sanctuary. was what, what City of
0: refuge.
2: City of refuge Good. cities. Yes, in, in all of them. But Facebook had a thing on there. It says answer this quiz. Right. Uh, about the twelve lost tribes, and I wrote on there they're not lost, mm-hmm. and I enlisted Anna and Asher, and, and you those, bet. the three of them, somebody
1: answered back, well, that's what they say. Oh, that's so uh. stupid. Yeah, people People don't want to just stick to the Bible, and yeah. that's a real problem. You need to stick to the Bible. <laughs> I got into that with one of my friends today about people making things up out of extra biblical stuff, and there's just not time in the world for it. There isn't. If you're going to cite something, you say, this is not scripture, and this is for this reference or that. I'm going to do it in the Esther sermons. But if you want to understand what's going on in the Bible, you need to stick to to the Bible. End of story with that. Okay, we're going on. Got the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, which I mentioned, and uh we talked about that. Which which branches were they? Which branches were they? If the type of salvation that Paul is speaking of is an individual rather than a group, how could they be re-grafted back into the tree? Let me ask this again. I'm gonna start back, read that sentence again. Another example is the cult known as the Jehovah's Witnesses, who claim to be the 144,000 mentioned in the book of Revelation, okay. Defined by the tribes of Israel. Here's the logic. If the type of salvation that Paul is speaking about is of individual rather than by group, how could they be regrafted back into the tree if they're already claiming to be this group of people, right? As is noted in verses 23 and 24. If the intended process of restoration is something that will come about at an unknown point and distant point in the future, as is noted in verses 25 and 26, How's it going to happen? It just blows away their logic completely. They they can't make a claim to say that it, they're going to be regrafted in, but they are the 144,000. They already claimed that that's who they are, okay? Replacement theology overall and the mindset of such lesser cults and sects makes no sense when looking at the larger context of Paul's words here, okay? Using the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, again, how could they make that claim if they were broken off, right. all right? How could they do that? And as my friend Mike says, he, he says, well, if blindness in part has come upon you, which we'll get to that verse in a while, then why should I listen to you? Right? Because it's speaking. If blindness in part has come upon the Jews and they claim to be the Jews, why would you listen to them? Right. It makes no sense. It makes no logical sense at all to say that we have replaced Israel when Israel is the one that's been blinded. Okay? Just keep those things in mind. When people ask you these questions and try to defend their theology, you need to be have have answers as to why their theology is wrong okay dispensationalism is correct no doubt about it no ifs ands or buts okay the same is true with all other replacement theology ideas how could they claim to be a part of the currently saved if they were claiming to be the very branches that were broken off makes absolutely no sense at all either the branches are national israel or they aren't if they are then God has an intention for national Israel in the future, regrafting back in. If those branches aren't national Israel, then there is no group now in God's favor, according to the gospel, because the people who claim to be Israel are broken off, the branches that are broken off. There is no soundness in reason concerning this passage when replacement theology is the consideration. None. But, Like I said, it's almost understandable for them to have come up with this conclusion and said, well, we're spiritual Israel because there were no Jews. They're scattered around the world. It doesn't make sense biblically, and I understand that. I wouldn't defend the doctrine, but I would say that I understand why people would accept the doctrine. Well, the Jews are out. But now that we have Israel back in the land and we've got this group of people that has been called from all over the world, exactly as the Bible said, it's a little hard to understand how people can cling to this other than the one thing that has been the downfall of everybody since the beginning, pride. Absolutely, pride, okay? So rather, the Gentiles who are currently grafted in have been so grafted because they stand by faith. That's Paul's words there, they stand by faith. We cannot claim superiority over the Jews. They were cast off for disbelief, and we are granted in, grafted in by faith. The playing field is level. And we all stand or fall by faith alone. That is it. That is the only thing that keeps us in God's good graces. And so Paul gives his warning to those who feel so elevated. He writes, do not be haughty, but fear. He's telling us to not be smug or overconfident, but to accept our position with humility. We have been saved by God's grace, and there is nothing to boast of concerning this favor. Paul will explain this further in the verses ahead. Life application. Uh, Next time, if you see that I forgot to push that button because of the screen, I I know, I'm just saying, no, let me know in the future because I just came to my mind. I had no idea. I'm so embarrassed about that. I'm going to go to bed tonight. My ears are still going to be red. (laughs) I, I hate making errors like that where people online are like, you know, okay, life application. How are you saved? Anybody? How were you saved? By faith. Okay. Was it by deeds that made God happy? That's my question. No. Rather, you came to God through Jesus Christ with empty hands and a rent heart. That's it. There's no other way that you came except with your hands completely empty. I have failed. I understand that Jesus has prevailed and I want what he has. Don't forget the mercy which was lavished upon you. Remember your salvation with humility and gratitude okay verse eleven twenty-one. go ahead
0: for if god did not spare the natural branches he will not spare you either
1: wow little scary there isn't it okay and if it's speaking in a collective sense guess what we are failing as a church more and more and more every day and someday those that believe are actually not going to be here anymore and then guess what's going to happen completely broke off all of those branches will be completely broke off
0: beginning of revelation is uh Retelling about that
1: absolutely beginning of Revelation three chapters of speaking to the churches only and all of a sudden in chapter four one it changes come up here and then all of a sudden speaking about Israel for the next how many chapters up until 19 verse 10 and then Jesus comes back guess what with us right it kind of shows you that what we're seeing here is very well reflected in dispensationalism okay the olive tree symbolizes much about Israel it remains green throughout the year which pictures god's eternal and enduring faithfulness to his covenant promises its fatness or the oil in it can be interpreted as the great privileges and honors of being israel no other nation has ever been so blessed no other people have endured and prospered as they have when cut down guess what the olive tree will sprout right again out of its stump just as Israel has been cut down and resprouted on several occasions. You can go to the Garden of Gethsemane and you can see olive trees that go back 2,000 years, don't they? Right? And guess what? They were there probably before that and they were cut down, but they sprouted back up again. It's a picture of Israel, right? And the symbolism of the olive and of Israel goes on in many other ways, all showing us the tie between God and this select group of people. They're termed by Paul, the natural, natural branches. There's an indication that they are the select and cherished group of people who are God's special treasure. Where is that first introduced? Well, all the way back in Exodus and Leviticus, but in Deuteronomy, he, Deuteronomy yeah. yeah, he specifically says it. It's Deuter. What's that? Chapter
2: seven,
1: chapter seven is correct. See, he's been paying attention here. He reads. You've read your Bible once or twice, haven't you? Deuteronomy chapter seven, and then it says the word in Hebrew is Amsegula, my special treasure people Am is people and then segula okay so seven six for you are a holy people to the Lord your God the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth that doesn't change just because they are out of favor with him his covenant and his words to them do not change right and you know what if they do if the Lord's words to Israel like leviticus 26 that we went through that guarantees that he would take he would keep his word to them even when they were in exile and even when they were at the farthest parts of the earth if that's not true guess what that means everything else yeah. everything else that the lord says is has no merit at all when it says i'm going to save you i'm going to see you with the holy spirit i'm going to grant you these things it means nothing absolutely nothing if he is not faithful to this group of people despite their unfaithfulness it means absolutely nothing to us when he says i'm going to save you and that i'm going to give you eternal life and i'm going to do all those things it means zero you either take israel as god's love magnified on a group of people despite the fact that they don't deserve it and you accept it for yourself as well or you might as well just take the whole thing and just throw it away and go out and party that's end the story with that i don't understand how people can look at those verses and come to any other conclusion okay through them meaning israel god displayed his glory in the parting of the sea. Through them came the law given at Sinai. To them was given God's special and chosen portion of land. You know what? I'm not going to say who, but I was talking to somebody yesterday that recently went back to Israel. And they said, as soon as we got back to Israel, they said, it was marvelous. It is absolutely marvelous to go to the land And to see that it is the perfect place for God to come back to. It was that clear to them, having been gone for just a few weeks. I won't say who I'm talking about. But anyway, But what he said, this person said to me was that uh, uh, if it wasn't for the people in Israel, they'd probably want to stay. (laughs) In other words, they're a gruff bunch of people. Right. Have you ever dealt with them on a personal level? Quite often they're you do every day. He's got business partners. They're very difficult to deal with, even when you're one of them. They're always arguing among each other. They're frustrating each other. Right. So it's just the way of the world. So God has selected them and he's given them this special land. But they are so into themselves that they can't get to the fact that they are God's people and they need to honor him not be the way they are so anyway i'm not going to give any more details because i don't want to give any names away but i it touched me when he said that i was completely floored (laughs) i really was i mean i was just i i never thought of it that way that god has something absolutely special and endearing and yet it, it gets thrown away on on wind anyway um they got the special chosen portion of land through them came the oracles of god and through israel came the messiah the lord jesus right with All of this history, heritage, privilege, and honor, one would think that Israel would be safe from judgment, but such is not the case. Their failures and their rejections of God and his word and of his son led them to being broken off branches. Because God looked upon this special group of natural branches and deemed that they were to be broken off, Paul warns the Gentiles. He says he will not spare you either. If the natural branches can go, how much more easily can the unnatural branches go? And I would qualify that. I would say that the unnatural branches have been given far, far more than Israel was ever given in the oracles of God. The writings of Paul, James, Jude, the book of Revelation, we have all of it now. And if we can't pay attention to what gives us the grace of God that explains the grace of God and the fulfilled work of Jesus, I mean, the Jews, The leaders were arrogant, they were prideful, they didn't want to hear about the Messiah, understood, they represented the nation, the nation was broken off. Some Jews understood and came to be saved and some continue to throughout every generation. But look at what we have, look at the promise that we have based on one word, grace. And if we can't cling to Christ because of that, how much easier would it be for us to be broken off? So I even qualify my own remarks here Paul hands the Gentiles a sobering reminder of their tenuous position we have been grafted in and we can be cut off again and we will be as I said end of the church age when the believers are gone church is done the church age is over they're going to be on a new plane and they're going to have to prove it through not taking the mark of the beast anybody takes the mark of the beast cannot be saved they can never be saved it is a done deal It does say, though, that those who did not take the mark of the beast and were executed will be brought back to life. This is the first resurrection, right? And they will live and serve with God for a thousand years. So there is hope, but it's going to be something that is completely different than anything that we have to face at this time. Okay, so unless one dismisses the doctrine of eternal salvation, the only logical conclusion is that these verses, as noted in the Romans 11.22 commentary, which is coming, are speaking of Israel as a group, not as individuals. Not all Jews had or have been cut off. Rather, the majority, which speaks of the whole, were broken off. In like manner, Paul must be then speaking about the majority. He must be, not the individual concerning Gentiles. In other words, the term he may not spare you is not speaking of a loss of salvation, because I've seen people quote that and say, see, you can be broken off, and the has nothing to do with the loss of salvation. Zip, nada, zero. We are branches and we can be broken off, right, if we don't believe. But this is speaking in a corporate sense. It is not speaking of individual salvation. Important point to keep in mind there, okay? So uh, he's not speaking of loss of salvation, but a loss of overall status. The primacy of the Gentiles during this dispensation. Life application. We stand in Christ because of the work of... Christ. Thank you. Let us not forget that he did all the work so that we may receive the many blessings of God in Christ. Be ever thankful for the greatness of the work of Jesus. Now, before we go on to 1122, I want to say that we want to be sure that we understand, okay, we are not imputed sin in this dispensation. If we were imputed sin, then we would die right the wages of sin is death we are not being imputed sin that's 2 corinthians 5 verse 19 okay we are not under law we are under grace that's romans 5 16 somewhere right in that area okay everybody understands that that does not give us license to sin god is unhappy when we do things that are contrary to what he expects of us okay You will not lose your salvation if you do those things. If you are saved, you will not lose your salvation. Why? Because you're not being imputed sin. Sin, the wages of sin is death. He tells us right in his word that we are not imputed sin. Okay? As Sergio, in his uh, testimony sermon, the first one said very eloquently, he went from Romans all the way to the book of 1 John, where it says that those who are in Christ cannot sin. That doesn't mean we can't actually sin, but we are not imputed sin. Before God we are not sinning, okay, in the sense of imputation of sin. We are not sinning in the sense of losing salvation because of what we do. But God is not pleased when we sin. So we need to understand that grace does not mean license. We are not given a credit card or a, a driver's license that says you may sin until you right. go or are called home. That is not the case, okay? I want to make sure we understand that because people will accuse people that preach grace That you're preaching license or you're preaching freedom to do anything you want that is not correct we go to paul's letters and he says don't do this don't do this don't do this please do that make sure you do that etc those are the things that we are to do that's why we go to bible study that's why we learn the word and we read it because i got to tell you what i get the passages and i say i i'd forgotten that if i didn't read it every single day and get through it several times a year i i would have no idea in three months of what i should be doing anymore anybody disagree with that there's just too much to follow through with. We are not given license to sin, but if we do sin, we are not imputed sin, okay? We want to keep God happy during this dispensation. We want to be grateful for what he has done, but at the same time, we are not imputed sin. So there's this this thing that's going on, and that's why the loss of salvation people, the Arminians and people that hold to that type of thing, the Methodist church that says you can't lose your salvation, they're so far off base that it's incredible. And they're so far off base because if that were true, then what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 19, where you are not imputed sin, isn't true, right? Okay, there you go. Who
0: decides?
1: What's that? Yeah, who decides? You got a pastor that tells you that, and he's got control over your whole life, yes?
2: If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ
1: the righteous. An advocate with the Father. He
2: says he doesn't want us to. I, I want you to say it,
1: but I don't want you to. But if you do, we have an advocate. That's a beautiful verse for that, because an advocate is different than a mediator. A mediator works between two parties to bring uh, about a uh, uh, restoration of a matter or to bring about peace, a settlement. Right. Uh, advocate says, I am defending this person. I am standing in his stead and I'm I am the one that has taken the penalty that he has uh, accepted and Therefore, I am his advocate. There will be no imputation of sin because of what he is. There's a little bit of a difference between a mediator and an advocate. Christ fills both of those roles, and that's a wonderful verse for that. There is no loss of salvation. If somebody believes that, they have not studied their theology properly. They need to rethink their Charlie, thoughts.
0: That's if you're saved, you
1: should have a conviction. Well, you should. What she just said is if you're saved, you should have a conviction of your sin. You should. Some people, let me read you this passage before we go to 22. This will only take a minute. But it says we can
2: sear our conscience.
1: We can sear our conscience, absolutely. And we can also do 2 Peter 1. Okay, I'm going to read you, and I go through this from time to time. It's good to be reminded of this particular passage. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 2 and just listen to the logic, and then what she said should show you that it can happen. We should be convicted, but we may not be convicted. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He's saying he's giving them like a benediction, but it's a benediction in the knowledge of God. Well, where do you get the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord? Right here. The apostles are all dead. They have written what they have written. The book is sealed, and there is no further revelation which is authoritative in nature. Okay? This is it. So, As his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, you can have life, you can have godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory, by glory and virtue. Okay, this is where it comes from. We can have the knowledge of God here. And so what does he do? By which we have been given, uh, which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he's saying you can have the knowledge of God, you can escape this corruption, you can have a life of godliness. Okay, everybody got that so far? This is He's building up a case, and he's going to get to a point here in four more verses. But also, for this reason, so that you get this knowledge, so that you will grow in godliness and not the other, because you're saved. He's writing to save believers. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, which saved you. Faith is what saved you. You were saved by grace through faith. Faith, virtue. Add to your faith, virtue. And then virtue, knowledge. So he says, first have faith, add to that virtue. I'm going to be a virtuous person. I'm going to act rightly, okay? But that's not enough, is it? He says, add to it knowledge. So you have virtue. Make sure that you have knowledge on top of that. Each step, if you leave out any one of them, you are going to fail, okay? But for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. I can know to do right and not do it. I have no self-control. So add self-control to that knowledge, okay? To self-control, perseverance. Because you can have self-control and all of a sudden you let it go and you start letting it slip up. You need to persevere in your self-control. You have the knowledge, you have the virtue, you have the self-control. Add in perseverance, okay? And to perseverance, godliness. Work your way through this. This is something that we are to do. We are to work for it. It's not for salvation. It is for pleasing God after salvation, okay? Now think of the people that don't do this. What you just said, are they going to do that? Absolutely not. They're just going to start falling away. They have not lost their salvation, and we're going to see that in two more verses, actually the third verse from now. Verse 7, to godliness, you're now acting in a godly manner, brotherly kindness. Actually apply your godliness towards others and not just towards yourself. And to brotherly kindness, love. Okay, that's the highest virtue Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 13. Peter writes about it here. Build on it until you come to a point of love. And he's speaking about the brethren, probably about all people in general, but it's very hard to love certain groups of people in this world at this time, especially when they're belligerent to you. Okay, but you want to do these things so that you become a mature Christian who is able to love. And then he says, for, eight, for if these things are yours, all of these things that he just said in order, if they are yours, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of, of our Lord Jesus Christ you have progressed to great knowledge of and you will be fruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ okay but verse 9 here it is for if he who for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten past tense has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins he saved His sins are forgiven. He had the faith, and he did not add to it. If that isn't a verse right there for eternal salvation, I can't think of another one in the Bible that is better. Absolutely, he has been forgiven, and he has failed to do what he was asked to do, and he's actually forgotten that he saved it all. And God has not. You talk about the faithfulness of God, Leviticus 26, faithfulness. It's right there in 2 Peter 1, verse 9. Okay, so do those things. That's why we come to Bible study. That's why we read the the Bible that's why we go to church or we listen to sermons as we're driving in the car whatever else is to become mature Christians so that we don't become that guy who's walking about in a vapor having no idea if he's saved or not I don't know if I'm saved and yet he is right how many of us have has that fit though we called on Jesus and then we wandered away and uh, this is why we redirect ourselves continuously redirect ourselves to the Word of God if you don't do it if you are not moving forward You are moving backward. There is no such thing as stasis in this universe, okay? An object that is in motion tends to stay in motion, okay? doesn't matter. You're going to either be going in that direction or that direction, but you're going to stay in motion. There's no such thing as I'm just, I'm satisfied with where I am theologically, and I'm not going to go any further. You're going to go back, all right? That's all there is to it. Okay, so verse 22.
0: Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided... That you continue in His kindness.
1: Okay, little difference, one. Uh, I'm it, not even done. Okay, go ahead.
0: <laughs> I was going to say. you will be cut.
1: Oh, off. good. You acted like you were dying. I was going to say there's a little more in my verse it in but, yours. Okay, so it mine is a little different anyway. it Changes kindness to goodness, but anyway, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity on those who fell, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. Remember, he's speaking about a corporate body. Individuals are broken off individuals, but that's not what he's speaking about in the context. He's speaking about the group. He's speaking about Jew or Gentile. Okay. And as I said, if we have replaced the church, then guess what? Or, I'm sorry if we've replaced the Jews then we've been broken off because we are now Israel and so why listen to us at all that's that is the idea that you should ask any reformed theologian or any Jehovah's Witness or anybody else well if that's you then why would we want to go to church at all right crazy okay verse 22 um, let's see here therefore The word, therefore, asks us to go back and reconsider the preceding verses. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start at Romans 1, verse 1, and we're going to go through the whole thing to find out what he's... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Anyway, he wants us to review the preceding verses. Paul spoke of uh, branches being broken off and branches being grafted in. These things were explained so that we could understand what has happened and what could happen based on whether God's people continue in him or apart from him. Based on his words... Of all that, he says, therefore, and then he goes on, consider the goodness and severity of God. We are asked to reflect on how God deals with man. This is a God-man relationship. This isn't some dubious thing that he's just making a point about. This is actually humanity, the people of the world, and how God deals with them. Okay, God is dealing with man. He is good in his very being. And longs to bestow that goodness upon us if we will but receive it. Right? God is good. There's nothing that is not good about God. You ask how um, one of my good friends that is happens to be very sick right now. He's getting better, but he asked, you know, uh, what about sickness? How does that fit into God's plans? And I can't remember exactly what I told him, but I thought it through and I said, listen, God is good. Everything that he intends for us is good. We are in a fallen world and we can't expect everything to be good. Now, here's an example I always give to people. If you are wanting to go out in a boat, right, and go water skiing, can something bad happen out there? You could get a shark bite, you know, while you're sitting there waiting for the thing to pull you up. It comes and bites you and kills you, right? You could fall off your skis and the skis impale you through your neck or you could um, fall off and you could break your neck and drown or the boat could come around to get you and run you over and chop you up whatever there are a million I know it's I'm just trying to think of all kinds of things right there's a million things that can happen that will will bring bad about it okay but you really want to go water skiing God says to you what I don't want you to go because I know it's not good for you you could die out there well what would your reaction be? Well, yeah, who, yeah, tyrant, who are you to tell me what I can't do? I'm a very good letter skier. I've done it my whole life and I've never had a problem, right? Who is to blame when something like that happens? It's not God. God is inherently good. He wants the best for us. Man fell. He told them what would keep them from falling and that they would live forever. He didn't say it explicitly, but he said that if you do eat it, you'll die, which means that they'll live forever if they don't, right? He gave them the ground rules and then he cursed the earth. There's going to be thorns and thistles. I step on a thorn. Ouch. Right. Is that God's fault? No, it's man's fault. He is now living in a cursed world. Right. And one of the thorns is because it's a thorn from one of those um, um, date palm trees that Tom and I cut all the time. And every one of them, I don't care if that date palm frond is seven years old. There is still poison in the end of it. And every time you get hit by one, they're real long and they'll go through Kevlar. I mean, they're amazing. You get hit by one. And what does it do? It gets infected and it hurts like a hammer hit your arm. I'm not going for a week at all. It hurts bad, right? You get one in your eye. Don't do it. I'm telling you, that is real painful. But this is a fallen world. Is it God's fault? The answer is no. And when we get sick, it's all tied into this. He didn't want this for us. We brought it on ourselves. But there is a good end to all things. We've got, I think I gave him the example of the car. You've got a car, right? And it starts to rust. And then the rust turns into a hole. hole. Well, what is the hole?
0: Where the car was.
1: Where the car was. It's a lack of a good thing. The metal is a good thing. God created it perfectly, but now there's a lack in it. We would call that lack evil. Evil has now come into the world. Evil is not a thing in and of itself. Evil is a lack of a good thing. It's the lack of God in the world. Evil is a lack of God. And so if you think about it, Properly. There can actually be no complete true evil. There is evil in different gradations, but there's no such thing as absolute evil because that would be a complete absolute absence of God, which is impossible. Okay. But evil is a lack of a good thing. Just like rust is a lack of the Satan has goodness in him. God created him. He cannot be perfectly evil. There's goodness in Satan in the sense that he was created in a certain way. He was, but he's very evil. He is the author of evil, right? But there, god did not create evil he created a good being which turned evil and it is not perfectly evil it is just not think it through and there is no such thing as absolute evil anyway um, so uh, we there what well hell you know what what does it say now it, it, obviously the translation could be the word is sheol oh, which means a lot of different things but what does it say in uh, the psalms it says i go to hell and behold you are there god's presence is everywhere he is everywhere. Now, the word is sheol, oh, obviously. They chose to translate that word hell. Sometimes it's the pit, sometimes it's death, sometimes it's this or that. But anyway, even then, there is no place that God is not. God is omnipresent, he is omniscient, and he is uh, um, omnipotent. Finish, Those are things that cannot change. What's that? Even at the finish, there is no place that God will not be. Everything that was created came from him, and therefore it is within his scope it cannot be outside of him can't be outside of him it'll be separated from us there will be no evil at all we will be in a perfectly
0: and being in hell you will be separated from god but that's right god is presence. Is will
1: only torment. It, yeah well it, here's what i like to tell people about hell i don't want to get too far under this because but i will say that if you want to know the definition of hell to charlie garrett I I can't think of anything worse than this is they will be resurrected to the great white throne judgment and they will see the magnificence of God the absolute magnificence of God and then they will be cast from him from his presence that alone knowing the absolute perfection of God in every which you rejected would be the epitome of hell to me I can't think of anything worse than having that seared in my conscience As a being and then knowing that I have no part of that ever I have no part of that so there you go that's my thought about hell right there 1122 did we read yes we did Um, okay so um, oh yeah this is how it should be and how God would have it at all times however there is a contrast it is the severity of God I'm gonna go back and read this whole paragraph again just so we have the context consider the goodness and severity of God we are asked to reflect on how God deals with man He is good in his very being and longs to bestow that goodness upon us if we will but receive it. Okay, I already said that. When we do and when we continue in that goodness, then we are the objects of his favor and the recipients of his many graces. Okay, I'm not talking about grace. I'm talking about the graces, all the favorable things that he gives us. Okay, this is how it should be and how God would have it at all times. So that explains the severity of God It explains the fall. It explains what happened after the fall and all of the sickness and all of the things that happened in the world. There is a contrast. It is the severity of God. Adam found out about the severity of God. The Jews found out about it. The church will find out about it. When we fail to remain in God's goodness, then the opposite of his goodness is the result. This does not indicate any change in God. There's no change in God. Okay. He is unchanging in his being. Rather, this indicates a positional movement on our part. I've given the example before. You have a column. I'm standing on the good side, and I decide I don't want to listen to God. I move to this side. He didn't change at all. He's the unmovable, right? But we change in relation to him, okay? And that's just an example. God isn't a pillar, but you understand why I'm saying. It is we who change in relation to God, okay? This indicates a positional movement on our part. And then I give the column example, which I just gave you. I'll read it anyway. Um, Imagine a fixed column. If we are in God's good graces because of obedience, we will be on one side. If we fail to remain in that state, we move positionally to the other side. The column is fixed. Thus, without changing God, we receive his severity because of our choice of failing to comply. The Lord didn't change when Adam ate the fruit. Exactly what he said would come about would come about on the day that you eat of this you shall die and along with that are consequences you're now in a fallen world they died spiritually the connection is gone and when you're spiritually disconnected from God a lot of bad things will come along with it God didn't change we don't affect God one iota okay when we think of God people always email me and some of them are angry at me when I say it but God is impassionate if God is passionate meaning he changes and he shows more love and less love then it's not the God of the Bible. God is impassionate. God is love. There is no change in his love. There will never be any change in his love. He is infinitely loving in all ways. He is infinitely just. He is infinitely holy. He is infinitely righteous. God's love does not change, okay? But our relationship with him, the love towards us will change. We are in a position where his love can no longer be bestowed upon us because we have something which keeps us from him okay and so all of those other attributes attributes of God will come into play but he is infinitely loving and he is impassionate he will never change in his state of love or in his state of and I may be using the word improperly impassionate if I am my friend always sends me emails and says you use the wrong word i don't care i'm explaining what the word is right now okay so you know what i'm talking about the love does not change okay and he Impassionate means that he cannot show passion in the way that we do okay it doesn't happen he just is love all right let's go on this is what was prophesied to israel concerning obedience and disobedience and what and this is what resulted from those states paul says now that we are no different though the spiritual banner has passed from jew to the gentile we can ex- can we expect different treatment from god who does not change can we? Absolutely not. If we have the banner, we and it says that Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. Shem is in favor, meaning the Jews, and then they are out of favor, and in comes Japheth, who is the Gentile-led church age, predominantly led by the sons of Japheth. You've got the Romans, and then you've got the, you know all of the line all the way through the Greeks, all of these people that predominantly. Ruled the Gentile led church age have been from the sons of Japheth. That doesn't mean that God's favor isn't on Jew. It's not on the sons of Ham. That's not what that's saying. It's saying that it is predominantly ruled by the sons of Japheth. And that's been that way for 2,000 years. Japheth will live in the tents of Shem. Okay? But guess what? God doesn't change. And if Israel was broken off and we fall away from God the way that Israel's fallen away from God, can we expect any different? Because God doesn't change? No. We have exactly the same thing that will happen to us that has happened to them. All right. So we cannot expect different treatment. And this is what we need to learn from Paul's introduction. He says, therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. At the same time, God's attributes will be viewed differently by these different groups. During Israel's time of punishment, Paul explains on those who fell, severity. They have received his judgment because they did not remain in God's good graces. Contrasting that, he next speaks of what occurred towards the Gentiles. And then he says, but you, goodness, right? Israel's fall, Paul goes on and says, is riches for the world. God's goodness has been lavished upon the Gentile peoples. His favor has been directed to a people who are not a people. Remember he cited Hosea? You, I. People who are not a people, right? But there is a caveat concerning our favored status, which is, as Paul says, if you continue in his goodness. If is a big word. It's only two letters, but it's conditional, and it's very important. If you continue in his goodness. Israel didn't, and they were cut off. The same then, based on the unchanging nature of God, must be true. Speaking to the Gentiles, he notes... That if they continue in his goodness, they will receive his goodness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. Absolutely. That's Paul's words. That's not mine. That's right out of the Bible. Otherwise, you will be cut off. If God's chosen and beloved nation was cut off. Remember, we went back to Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. You are my special people, my holy nation. If they can be cut off, especially considering that they are the natural branches, which Paul is a Jew and he's explaining this about his own people. Only a fool would do that if it wasn't true, right. right? Absolutely. If he says that, if the beloved nation, they are the natural branches, then what should the wild branches expect? The same severity and abrupt change in the situation as they are cut off from his goodness. Guess what? Coming soon to a rapture near you. I hate to say it, but the, the church is going to suddenly be completely cut off. The Lord is going to take those who are his and the church as a whole, talking about Jew and Gentile, will be cut off. That doesn't mean all those people are going to go to hell. That's not what it means. It means that those people will now have to not take the mark of the beast and they will have to show their allegiance to Christ in a very special way. That's seven years of heck on earth, right? Okay, that is what's coming. It's going to come and when that happens, God's favor is going to go back. It's going to go back to the Jews. All right. They're going to go through their own tribulation, though, because they're going to build the temple and they're going to do all the things that Daniel chapter nine says is going to happen. But eventually they are going to be the exalted nation. Once again, God is working them towards that slowly, but methodically doing it throughout history. And we are at that. This is what's exciting about Israel today, isn't it? We're at that point in history where we know it's going to happen. They are in the land. It says in the book of uh, Amos. Last words of the book of Amos, it says, I will plant them in their land and they will never be cut off again, says the Lord your God. It will never happen again. If you see them kicked out of the land, this ain't no good. And I'm gonna tell you what, it is not going to happen. They will be in that land. There may be just a couple of them left and they're gonna mourn over what they see happening, but that land is going to be theirs. Absolutely 100% guaranteed, 100%. It will never happen. Okay, having seen this train of thought as summed up in this, therefore, that we just went through, it should be evident now that this verse cannot, cannot be speaking of individual salvation. If somebody uses this verse and they cite it to you on Facebook and they tell you that you can be broken off and that you can lose your salvation, they have completely mishandled the entire context. That's why we went through all those verses very carefully and very methodically. That has nothing to do with the loss of salvation. Zip, zero. Nada. Okay. It is it is not speaking on an individual level at all. This is not a verse which is acceptable to support the erroneous view that one can lose their salvation. Everything must be taken in context or it is a pretext. Thank you. Pretext means lie. for those of you in Rio. What is it he says? Um, Rush Limbaugh, Rio. Uh, oh, uh, he says it. Rio Linda. Rio Linda. yeah he says it every every time he's talking he uses a big word and he says for those of you in Rio Linda meaning they have no idea of English or whatever he's just funny about it, does it every every time anyway um, uh, disregard oh yeah here we go everything must be taken in context or it is a pretext disregard any commentary which points to this verse as substantiation for a loss of salvation if you are in Christ you are saved past present and future life application Always check the context of a verse carefully. Remember, we went through Acts chapter 2, and at the end of that uh, devotional, the last thing they said was completely taking everything out of context. Everything. Always check the context. Who is being spoken to? What is it referring to? Is it describing something, or is it actually prescribing something for those people? For those people at that time, Peter's words were prescriptive. Absolutely. Just as when he went up and uh, they were speaking to them in Samaria, Another six chapters later in chapter eight, those were prescriptive for those people at that time. But it is not prescriptive for us at this time. Like I said, if you were to take two, six, and eight, or sorry, ten, two, eight, and ten, and you were to put them all together, then you would have no theology at all. Which one do you choose and which one do you not choose? They're descriptive passages. They just simply tell us what happened for a specific reason. Go watch the... uh, the uh whatever the uh old um bible study and you'll see okay anyway um what are the surrounding verses what is the overall message what is being conveyed can this verse stand alone or is it dependent on other verses to make a point etc keep these things in mind and may your doctrine be pure and undefiled i've got something you talk about context i'm going to tell you something that is it's sad it's sad but you talk about keeping things in context, who's speaking, who's being spoken to. My friend Arlene sent me, she posted on my wall on Facebook. If you want to see it, just go look. She Somebody took a picture of a daily devotional, you know, tear off oh, this yeah. one, it's got May 3rd on it, yeah. and then it's got a Bible verse on yeah. it. You saw that? I think it was the one
0: from Jesus Calling
1: or whatever. Oh, that no, was no, 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 no. This is something oh, she posted yeah. on my wall and this I'm gonna read you, I'm gonna know. read you the verse. Okay, now you talk about context it says here hang on a second here um i want to make sure i get the right one it says i think it's this one it is this one luke 4 verse 7 this is on the daily devotional or daily um thing this this calendar where they give you a nice verse every day therefore if you will worship before me all will be yours (laughs) <laughs> he got it. Who said that? Satan, Satan said that.
0: Uh, that's on Satan.
1: And that's on one of their, you know, rip off things. It's got your verse, State, uplifting yeah, verse. It, it says, therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Oh, yeah, that's when, Remember, when he's, he's tempting, he, yeah, trying yeah, to tempt good, the Lord. Right? And they had that on their thing. Oh, and God. the point was that it's in yeah. one of those name it and claim it things. You know, oh, th- this is your verse for today. Gosh. Can you imagine? They're citing the devil on that thing how stupid Who's Any, there? Who's- who knows just you know it's one of those things people just taking things out of context once again oh that sounds like a nice verse to say you got to. who is speaking who are they speaking to what is the context absolutely crazy absolutely crazy anyway i laughed when i saw it and burke did too he got it right away anyway i think cindy got it too okay so we got 11:23, and we got 15 minutes so let me make sure we can get it done in 15 minutes I'm sure we can. Oh, yeah, that's short And if
0: they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again.
1: Okay, there you go. Right there. Israel. Speaking of Israel, not the church. He's speaking of Israel. Because as I said, remember, if in fact we are Israel, we've been broken off, then why should anybody believe us? We're waiting to be grafted in. Right? We're not the... Crazy, crazy. If you think it through just a little bit, you can see how bad replacement theology is. Okay, Paul is, in essence, repeating himself in this verse. So far in verses 1 and 2, 11 and 12 and 15, he has indicated that Israel is not completely cut off. He's building on a thought, each thought, and adding to it so that we can see what has happened and why. This verse repeats the why of verse 20. The Jews as a whole, not all individuals, were broken off because of unbelief. Now we're told that this state of unbelief does not have to be final. He says, if they do not continue in unbelief. It's already been hinted that they won't so continue. That was back in verse 12. Let me read it again. It says, now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? It's already implied that they will be grafted in. It's always building on this thought again, right? It says um, it will be explicitly stated in verses 25 through 27 that they will be grafted in again. It's going to be explicit. Okay. One, being a part of the olive tree is conditional on Belief. belief. Thank you. Two, the Jewish people as a whole failed to believe and were broken off. Three, if they do not continue in unbelief, as is indicated that they won't, they will be grafted in. Four, therefore, God will graft them in again because five, God is able to graft them in again. They will be because he is able and because they have believed. That is the logic, and as far as I'm concerned, it is irrefutable. It is not speaking about the church in any way, shape, or form. This current state of unbelief is because of their pursuing the law as a means to an end. They will realize this as a faulty approach in the future. Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Pursuing the law leaves a veil over the eyes of those who so pursue it, but... The veil is taken away in Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14. Such is the work of the Spirit. It is from life from the dead, even the long dead branches which were broken off. God is able to bring them back to life and grant them, uh, graft them again into his holy tree. Life application. Nobody is so far from God that they cannot be brought to spiritual life. And a large part of our work here should be geared towards that premise. Prayer is something we can all participate in. Find the person you dislike the most in your heart. This is a tough one. If there is such a person, and make a concerted effort to pray for them. Christ died for them, too. And I have to really say that to myself. Christ died for our previous president. As much as I loathe that guy, once in a while I'll grit my teeth and say, Lord, if it's your will, you know, I I, I hate to admit I'm fallen, and that's what goes through me, but... Christ died for that man as well he died for everybody like him all of the people that are are belittling our country literally treasonous people that are being brought to the light right now Christ died for them and you know what think of uh, what was the guy that uh, Bill Bennett wasn't it? him that went to jail for uh, oh no G Gordon Liddy G Gordon Liddy right he went to jail and he became a TV announcer right we all do things that are wrong Right. Christ died for us. You might go to uh, prison. You might meet the Lord. You never know. I hope they go to prison, but I'd hope that in prison, maybe they meet the Lord. I, we have 10 minutes, and so we're going to do one more, so let's do it. And yeah.
0: There we go. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree?
1: Can anybody see anybody but Israel in that? I mean, literally, can anybody? I don't know how anybody could look at these verses any other way than just simply saying, he's obviously speaking about Israel. Okay, let's, let's read it. Here we see an explanatory statement of the previous verse. Paul said, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. That was the previous verse. Paul is explaining that. Paul will now expand on this, giving insights into why this is so. The word for will reveal how God is able to graft the Jews again into the spiritual root. And not only that, but that it is a more likely event than one might expect. Speaking to the Gentiles, Paul says, if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature. Okay, speaking of Gentiles, we all know that. The natural way of grafting is exactly the opposite. Normally, one takes a cultivated branch and grafts it into a wild root. Remember I explained yeah, that yeah. last week? or two, Yeah, last week. As a matter of fact, uh, Kyle, he called me and we talked about it, or maybe he sent me an email. I can't remember. Sorry, Kyle. Uh, we did talk too, but he said that it made sense. You have a wild root, which is hardy, right? right. It's the thing... That, what Paul is saying here is this is completely contrary to nature. You're going to take a wild root and you're going to put it into the natural. And yeah, okay, there you go. So it says, um, if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is by nature, the natural wave grafting is exactly the opposite. Normally one takes a cultivated branch and grafts it into a wild root. The wild root will already be acclimated to its surroundings. It will be able to withstand the climatic conditions. Any indigenous bugs and pests, all of that stuff, it's already used to it. However, its fruit will be of a less quality, possibly of no value at all. And so in order to think of it now, that's us. No value at all, right? That's what he's he's telling us. This. He's not saying it explicitly, but we can know that that's what he's saying. You have the highest quality, which is the Jew. And we know this. Anybody that can't admit that the Jews are the highest quality, even in their unbelief, I said it a couple weeks ago. They're the doctors. They're the lawyers. You want the worst criminal? You got a Jew, right? I'm telling you, the Jewish mafia is so bad really? that you don't even know who they are. It's oh not like God. the Yakuza. They got <laughs> tattoos all over, you know, or the the mafioso. The Jewish mafia, are they, they control everything, right? Whatever the Jews do, they do it plus, okay? So we know that we're talking about the top quality, whereas the Gentiles are of the less quality. We know that. Anybody that can't see that is just simply biased against the Jews. Isn't George Soros? Yeah, George Soros is he's the, the wicked of wickeds. There you go. Perfect example. Perfect example. Okay. Yes. No, 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 no. I'm not getting into that. That is not correct. I'm not going there. That is incorrect. You read wrong and we've talked about that before. They are Jews. They are Jews. I know that people say that and you read it on the Internet. And why do they do that? Because they want to dismiss the people in Israel are not the true people. That is incorrect. Jews are people that are brought in. And Exodus 12 is the only requirement that is given for a person to become a Jew. Everything after that is all tradition, and et cetera, et cetera. If you were brought into the Jewish people, you are the Jewish people. I, I, I'm not going any further. I just said that in Ezekiel chapter 47, the people that are in the land will be counted as natives when that happens. God has reserved this group of people, and they are Ashkenazi, Sephardim, I don't care. I, 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 I Absolutely not. That is untrue if they are in the land of Israel, and they proclaim to be Jews, and they are observing the Passover and all the things that are required. They're Jews. Done. Okay? Anyway, I, I do not hold to that. I know you do, and I know other people do. I do not. Okay? So, because it's incorrect. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, however, its fruit would be of less quality, possibly of no value at all. We've got four more minutes. And so, in order to have a tree which can withstand the contrary conditions, and yet produce yummy fruit, the cultivated grass are placed into the wild roots. Hence, you have the hardiness of the life support and the yummiosity of the cultivated graft. The graft remains unchanged despite its new surroundings. As Paul says, what occurred with the Gentiles is that they were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. The wild graft is lesser quality fruit that is grafted into the higher quality root. This is a humbling thought when rightly considered. It is the Jew who originally has the higher quality root who also bears the yummier fruit. So much for boasting on the part of the Gentiles. Because of their more noble origins and their ability to more readily accept their own root, how much more will these, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? That's what Paul is asking. Paul is asking the Gentiles to reflect on what occurred and how it was contrary to what they knew from nature. It is they not the Jews who were grafted in this contrary manner. If we readily understood and accepted the message in the spiritual nourishment of Christ, how much more when the Jews of the Jews, when God grafts them in again. And how do we know that that is true? Because every time we see a Jew come to Jesus, what happens? They make marvelous Christians. Because they already have the theology. They already have everything that built them up as a people, the culture, everything. And then they realize that this is the Messiah. They make wonderful, wonderful Christians. That doesn't mean their theology is better. That doesn't mean that we're to hang on to their coattails and all that kind of stuff. It just means that they, and the same, I hate to say it is true about Catholics, right? Catholics have all of the high doctrine. They understand the Christology. They understand the Trinity. They understand, but they have no relationship with God. And when they meet Christ, they make the best Christians. Why? Because they already have the grounding okay people that are brought up in the baptist church and live their whole life knowing jesus they make great Christians, but they're usually not the ones that excel in christianity they don't excel in understanding the bible they just know the bible and they love the lord and that's fine some of them may excel but i'm saying that when catholics meet the lord they usually burn up the pages of the bible the same is true with jews okay anyway so do um, get haughty, though. Yeah, don't get haughty, though. Don't get haughty. I was not a Catholic. I was an Episcopal. I was Catholic light growing up. So um, we've got to... You are warm. Yeah, I'm warmed. Okay, we've got two minutes. i got to finish. This doesn't mean, please understand, that God actively breaks off and God actively grafts. Okay, this is just an example. God knows all things in advance, including the coming return of Israel to the life-giving root. But his foreknowledge isn't necessarily causative in nature. We need to understand that. He simply knows in advance what will occur and tells us of it before it comes about, asking us to pay attention to both the prophecy and the fulfillment of the prophecy. This is why it becomes so important for the church to open their eyes to the return of Israel, to their homeland, to the reestablishment of them as a united people. Into the blossoming messianic movement among the Jews, God's plans are coming to their fulfillment, and Israel, his natural branches are being grafted into this holy root. okay? It's not a one sudden process, it's what's going on. At some point, it will become a national movement and a cry for the return of the Lord. What the impetus for this will be is yet uncertain. We talked about this already, but it is coming, and it will usher in a time of unmatched wonder on the earth, coming soon to a millennial kingdom near you. Life application, Israel. Pray for Israel and be willing to speak to Jewish people about the wonder of Christ and how they are actually closer to him than they may realize. Read and know your Old Testament because it is the tie which you can use to connect them to the one who is its fulfillment, right? That's our job completed. You. Let me have that pen real quickly. Exactly. So, Oh, thank you. I forgot we put that there. I'm going to remember that next week because we put that there last week and I forgot. Thank you. Okay. Put it right back there. That's right. Joel. house of David
2: and the inhabitants
1: of Jerusalem. The
2: spirit of grace and supplication so they will look on me and they have pierced.
1: Zechariah 12
2: Zechariah twelve.
1: okay there you go all right let's close in prayer wonderful verse to close with Heavenly Father thank you so very much for the faithfulness of your uh, promises that are being kept to the Jewish people because without that we would also be without hope in this world but because you're faithful to your unfaithful people Israel you will certainly keep your promises to us and that is a wonderful delight to our senses when we think about it no doubt about it that you are a covenant-keeping god and every word that you speak is truth so we we feel assured and we feel reassured of that and so thank you and lord we certainly pray once again for the people that were mentioned at the beginning vince who had his stroke and um uh, thank you that alan is doing better in the hospital and we'll pray that he continues in that and mary's grandson major we'd certainly pray for him as well and for all the other people that are out there that are facing their own trials and and difficulties. We lift them up. Chip, our brother Chip, who hasn't been here for a while. And uh, Lord, we just love you. We thank you for all the good that you've displayed in our lives. And we just want to praise you and exalt you as we go into the rest of the week. And we pray that Sunday will be a good day for us to get together and fellowship once again. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, now let me push the button mm-hmm. to Which back one? this up. Uh, yeah, hello. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot that. I hope that works out okay yeah, for folks. But let's see, we're going to go to um, break now. See, so I've got to push it twice.